Five-time Emmy Award loser Dennis Leary made this observation. Most people think life sucks and then you die. Not me. I beg to differ. I think life sucks. Then you get cancer. Then your dog dies. Your wife leaves you. The cancer goes into remission. You get a new dog. You get remarried. You owe $10 million in medical bills, but you work hard for 35 years and you pay it back. And then one day you have a massive stroke. Your whole right side is paralyzed. You have a You have to limp along the streets and speak out of the left side of your mouth and drool, but you go into rehabilitation and regain the power to walk and the power to talk, and then one day you step off a curb and bang, you get hit by a city bus, and then you die. Maybe. Well, I guess we could have a debate on whether or not Dennis Leary is a pessimist, a realist, a fatalist, but one thing we don't need to debate about is that Dennis Leary, whether he knows it or not, captures the gist of the biblical book we know as Ecclesiastes. And if you have a Bible, you can find the book of Ecclesiastes. It's kind of hard to say if you've never said it before, but it's easy to find. Ecclesiastes is after the book of Proverbs. So blow the dust off your Old Testament if you need to. The book of Psalms is essentially in the middle unless you have a study Bible. And then you find Proverbs and then you find Ecclesiastes. And it's a great ordering of things because Proverbs gives us so much insight about wisdom, what's good and what's bad. And Ecclesiastes kind of does the same thing. It's wisdom literature. It's 12 chapters long. Uh, Today, what I plan to do is do a 30,000 foot flyover. So we're not going to do all 12 chapters. We've done it before here at Omaha Bible Church, but we are going to look at an overview. Really, we're going to look at chapter 1 and 2, and then we'll look at the bookend and go to chapter 12. Uh, I want you to know that it starts with darkness in chapter 1. It ends with darkness in chapter 2, and it is, you might have guessed, permeated with darkness in the middle. Complete meaningless, complete meaningless, everything is meaningless, is one way to capture the idea of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 4, even though it's not a quote, uh, he essentially says, it would have been better if I never would have even been born. So it's dark. I greeted some folks this morning, uh, a sweet couple who came in this morning, and they said, we're so glad you're here today. Are we going to start the book of Acts today? And uh, they had their purple notebooks. And I said, oh, no, it's going to be dark today. We're doing Ecclesiastes. And they said, we thought since you were just in San Diego, you'd come home happy. (laughs) So (laughs) I am happy. Don't get me wrong. And uh, Ecclesiastes is, is great because of what it gets us ready for. Uh, I take a pessimistic view of the book of Ecclesiastes. I realize there's some great, wonderful statements in there. And you could have them uh, over your morning coffee in some kind of Bible promise book taken out of context. But I think it's some 35 times from the beginning to the end, throughout the whole thing, it's using that word vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness, darkness, depression. And the reason I'm wanting us to look at this is because there are few books in the Bible that are so honest about the life around us and the life that we live apart from Christ, apart from knowing what the Bible says about life, 
And apart from knowing Christ who's been raised from the dead, oh, I mean, it, it, it's a doozy. It's dark. So I think it helps us to think rightly about the lives we're living. We're going to talk about wisdom today. We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about pleasure. And Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity, vanity. If you're not understanding pleasure, wisdom, work from the right perspective and ultimately without Christ. So we're going to go real dark, hang in there. But at the end, I promise you it's going to end positively. Okay, I promise you it's going to end positively because we're going to talk about what matters forever so your work can matter, so your pleasure can matter, and so your pursuit of wisdom can matter, but only because of Christ. So, hope you're ready. Hide the sharp objects. Um, this is the I Can't Get No Satisfaction book of the Bible. Um, let me tell you, if you'd like an outline this morning, we'll look at three pursuits that do not deliver as promised. Three pursuits that do not deliver as promised. The pursuit of wisdom, number one. The pursuit of pleasure, number two. The pursuit of work, number three. And if you know the Bible very well at all, you know the Bible says wisdom is good. Pleasure is affirmed. God God made us to be pleasure-seeking beings. Um, And work is good. But apart from special revelation, apart from the Bible and understanding how these things are to function, and apart from Christ, life sucks and then you die. It's not so good. So, I won't say that word anymore, I promise. But it was an effective intro, okay? First pursuit that doesn't deliver lasting meaning, number one, is the pursuit of wisdom. And if we go ahead and skip the intro part, we're just going to go right to chapter 1, verse 12. And really what we're looking at is chapters... uh, one and two, but we, we're going to skip the intro, skipping the first 11 verses. And it says in verse 12, I, the preacher, maybe don't think of preacher like me. Don't think televangelist, think professor, think sage, think wise counselor, the people, the, the person you'd go to hear give a TED talk. I mean, people who someone, someone who's an expert in their field, uh, who knows a lot about life. Okay, I, the sage, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I'm trying to read that with great gravitas and effect because that tells us that the writer is no slouch. If he were king of Israel, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says the same thing, king of Jerusalem, son of David. I stress that because he he's not a nobody who knows not much. This means if he's king of Israel... That means he has means to know things like wisdom. He has prestige. He has power. He has experience. He has knowledge. We might say, if we're using a label, King Solomon was a real Renaissance man. He knew a lot about a lot. Intellectually, but also when it came to practice. And so, king of Israel, he's that kind of person. Don't just take my word for it. Ever so quickly, I'll read a few statements from First Kings about Solomon. So that when we read our opening verse, verse, uh, verse 12, we would say, king over Israel in Jerusalem. Wow. Let's listen to him. This is First Kings chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon, our author, wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breath of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom, listen to this, surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. 
So not just wisdom within Israel, wisdom beyond. Listen to what it says. I'll keep reading from 1 Kings. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrite, and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. The idea is, and you might think, who are those people? Wise non-Israelites. The people who were famous for being wise even throughout the land, even across other borders, they're the wise ones, and Solomon is wiser than they are. You'd think he would esteem wisdom if he's that wise. That text goes on to say, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Let's go hear what Solomon says. Let's plan a road trip to go sit at his feet. He's famous for understanding how the world works. He's famous for, for learning and intellect. First Kings chapter 10 says, Thus Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Also in chapter 10 verse 24, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. Okay. All of that to say, he's going to throw wisdom under the bus. He's going to say, you know what? If that's your pursuit in life and you don't understand God's world and how God's world works, apart from the Bible, apart from special revelation, I'm the wise one of all wise one, famous vanity of vanities. Oh, that's where we're going. Okay, we better go there. How about verse 13? And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So I'm going to go far and wide and try to exhaust this, seeking meaning in knowledge and understanding, wisdom, and then notice the depressing finding. 13 goes on to say, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is, there's our word, vanity, futility, emptiness, not fulfilling is the idea, and a striving after wind. Wow. Then verse 15 offers a proverbial saying. Uh, It says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. That's bad news, right? In this world, the way this world is so broken, you know what? We're not going to find a solution to this problem. It's unfixable as far as where we sit, where Solomon sat, which was on a throne. Can't fix the problem. Okay, let's keep going. How about verse 15 where he goes on to say at the end there, and what is lacking cannot be counted. That, that's Think about that. What is lacking can't be counted. How can you count nothing? It's an absurdity. If you didn't turn anything into the teacher, you don't get any good grades, you don't get any bad grades, but it's failing. Okay? I pursued wisdom with passion and all of my heart, and I'm the wise one from God even. And you know what my conclusion is? Emptiness of emptiness. Oh, I forgot to mention at the beginning that vanity of vanities that the book opens up with. It says it twice because it's emphasizing like ultimate. For example, the the book, The Song of Solomon, it's referred to as the Song of Songs because it's the best of the best. Okay? So when he, uh, Song of Songs, that's the best song ever is why it's called Song of Songs. 
Vanity of vanities. Emptiness of all ultimate emptiness. I don't know about you, but I'm not encouraged. (laughs) If you came for a pep talk today, it's not going to happen. Sorry. Um, But at the end, you can be encouraged. But how in the world can we really understand our predicament if we don't understand some of these things from the wisest of the wise? Okay, verse 16 says, I said in my heart, notice, this is, I didn't, this wasn't just a passing whim or, or, or something to tickle my intellectual fantasy and then I moved on. No, this is, this is with my heart. We talk about putting your heart into something. That's, that's the idea. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 17 says, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So not only is he going to find the positive kind of stuff empty and not bringing ultimate meaning in life, Then he's going to say, and I'm smart enough and wise enough, I'll even apply it to things that are foolish and dumb, which is what really smart people do sometimes, because they can't get satisfaction in the sophisticated, positive, upstanding things, and so they turn to the the dumb things. Let me see if I can find satisfaction in that. Then it goes on to say in verse 17, I perceived that this also is but striving after wind. 18 says, for in much wisdom there is vexation or aggravation or displeasure, lack of fulfillment, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is terrible. In 1932, George Eastman of Eastman Kodak fame ended his life. And the note that he left said, my work is done. Why wait? You say, he was a genius. Uh-huh. Did it make him happy? No. No. Again, hang in there with me. This is dark stuff. This is depressing stuff. It's meant to be depressing, I think. I preached through the book of Ecclesiastes chapter by chapter, and I vowed to never do it again. <laughs> I'm happy to do the 30,000-foot flyover. <laughs> But no, thank you. I almost would prefer the coffee table books that takes the verses out of context. (laughs) But in all sincerity, what you're told will bring you happiness in your life. And there are multi-million dollar ad campaigns to try to convince you that these things will. Solomon would say, Never. Is wisdom good? For sure, the wisdom is good. The Bible says wisdom is good without question. Education is good. Learning is good. Knowing things is good. But knowledge makes a terrible savior. Ultimate fulfillment won't happen. It won't happen. And it's good for us to see that apart from a true knowledge of God that has to come not from observing nature. It has to come from above, if you will. It has to come from what we'll call special revelation. It has to come from God speaking. It has to come from the Bible. Ultimately, it has to come from Christ. We're going to pursue these things to meet our needs, and they'll never meet our needs, our deepest needs. 
So we've got to be desperate and say, if wisdom from Solomon is vanity of vanities, then what? Then what? Okay, are we done with chapter 1? I think we're done with chapter 1. We're going to move on. We're going to move on to the next section. We're going to move on to the second pursuit that doesn't deliver lasting meaning, and that would be pleasure. And now we move into chapter 2, pleasure. Is pleasure good? I think pleasure is good. God God made us to experience things. He made us to enjoy food. He made us to enjoy intimacy. He made us to enjoy friendship. He made us to enjoy recreation. There's so many different things that we enjoy. No doubt God made us to be pleasure seekers. But pleasure makes for a terrible savior is where he's going. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. I, it sounds pretty good to me, right? I think we'd, we would all be lying if we didn't think somehow, sometimes in our life, that this actually is going to be what meets our needs. Especially if we had all the wealth and power and wisdom of Solomon. What he, He's going to impress us. But he says in verse 1, before we get too excited, but behold, this also was vanity. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. How about that? He, 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 you, he harnessed his great wisdom on how to have the best wine, how to drink wine the right way. If he lived today, right, he, he would go the best vineyards, the right kind of glasses, all of those kinds of things that wine experts would do. He's that kind of guy. Let's make it the best it could possibly be, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Hedonistic self-pleasure when you're the wisest person around could really sound pretty good. I made great works, verse 4. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves or servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I I did not keep from them. I underline this next part. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. So it would be one thing for me to pursue pleasure. Solomon could pursue pleasure like nobody could pursue pleasure. So the argument is from the greater to the lesser. So he had all of these things. He had singers. He had the house. He had... The wine, he had the women, the list can go on and on. Whatever he wanted, he pursued it with passionate wisdom. This is MTV Cribs Jerusalem edition. And for those of you who don't know what that means, I did hear they're bringing that back, by the way. Not the Jerusalem edition, but MTV Cribs is coming back. 
This is lifestyles of the rich and famous if you're part of the older crowd. If you're part of the super younger crowd, I don't know because I'm 52. (laughs) Solomon. If we could only look and see all of the amazing things. I think it's interesting too. Solomon's not the guy, he's not the, the guy who grew up with nothing and no knowledge and no money, you know, wrong side of the tracks in the bad trailer park and he won the lottery. We might expect him to say, you know what, it didn't really satisfy. No, best of the best of the best of the best of the best. But he's still going to say, didn't make me happy. Then it says in verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness. So he's kind of circling back to the wisdom idea again. And folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. That, that's good. That's, it's important he sees that. As there is more gain in light than in darkness, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So, and again, I think he's trying to interpret life without the Bible and showing us how this works. But, but even the person who does that can say, you know what? I tried both ways of living and it is better to live a wise life than it is to blindly pursue pleasure like a fool. Unbelievers can figure some of this stuff out and he's figuring some of that stuff out. Okay, let's keep going in verse 14. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. You don't want to miss this part. Okay, it's wise to be wise and it's better to be wise than to be foolish. But notice, he perceived that the same thing happens to all of them. Keep reading in verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what becomes to the fool will happen to me also. What's he saying? What's he getting at? In the end, we're all pushing up daisies. Right? In the end, we're all six foot under. And this is irritating to him because it causes him to say, what's the point then? Let's keep reading. Why then have I been so very wise? What's been the point? I've been, I've been just on the, on, on the gerbil wheel or something. This doesn't even make sense. And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. So I hated life. Is that the right conclusion? I I don't know the answer to that question. I just thought about asking you. (laughs) Is it right to hate life? Well, I don't think it's right to hate life. Let's think this through. But it's reasonable if you don't have special revelation, if you don't have hope and interpreting these things rightly. You know, his logical conclusion is, I hate life. I think this is a great pre-evangelistic book. I think it's also a great book for Christians to help us to think sanely about life and not fall into terrible thinking. 
that says wisdom is going to make me happy, pleasure is going to make me happy. You know what ends up happening is you say, I hate life. That's what we end up saying. It seems like it's going to be a great savior, fulfiller, provider, but whether it's wisdom or pleasure, neither one of them are good saviors. And it causes us to be filled with anguish, saying, you know what, I hate life. Life sucks. Oops, I said it again, sorry. He's not, he, he's not drawing wrong conclusions from an unbelieving perspective. I would encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ, don't draw unbelieving conclusions because you're thinking like an unbeliever. I don't know where we were. Oh, we, I think we finished verse 17. I wrote in my notes, Ugh. doesn't sound very good, but I don't think we're meant to feel very good here. And I spell that U-G-H. I don't know how you spell it. <laughs> it's a big downer. Ugh. I don't know how you don't feel this kind of darkness. To not feel this way, I think, puts me either in denial or I know there's hope in Jesus. I'm, I'm reading ahead. <laughs> but if we're honest, this is, this is pretty pretty drab, pretty dark. Why is it in the Bible? I think it's to push us to have our need to truly know God and His ways and then ultimately to find a solution out of all of this. Please don't misunderstand. Pleasure is... I'm, I'm going to go on record as saying pleasure is good provided it's lawful, provided it's not sinful. God made us to enjoy things. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isn't God amazing that He gave us taste buds and we don't have to just drink and sure? <laughs> I mean, He made this amazing world. Sorry if you're into that, but I'm not. <laughs> As a supplement, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, he, he made the world complex and, and truly amazing and, and to, uh, to, to enjoy a sunset and a sunrise and, and to hear the, the sea and all of these great things and family and so many other things. But they're, they're, they're just not good saviors. They're not good deliverers. They're not ultimate fulfillers. And when you pursue them as ultimately fulfilling, you're going to say, life is bad. Life is evil. Life is terrible. And you're on to something. I'd like to say you're ready for something. You're ready to hear something else. But before we get to that, let's move on to the third pursuit. And that third pursuit is the pursuit of work. The pursuit of work. Verse 18 says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave, leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master over all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Now, I realize we put a positive spin on it and say, you know, it's good to, to leave an endowment. And it is good to leave an endowment if it's a good cause. Uh, and we say, well, I'm going to leave it to my children and grandchildren and I'm going to leave it. Well, th- those are good things, but they're they're not the ultimate good because there is still something seemingly wrong about you doing all this work and not benefiting yourself. It's not really logical. And he actually goes there. Don't take my word for it. Verse 20 says, So I turned about and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. 
This also is vanity. And he even says, I thought it was interesting at the end of verse 21, a great evil. There's something wrong about you doing work and you not benefiting from your work. It's logical that if you do work, you would benefit from your work. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to do work and then I'm going to die and they may or may not do a good job with what I leave them. He's even willing to call it, he thinks it's evil. Verse 22 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Implied answer is negative. 23 says, For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. That's being aggravated, annoyed, troubled, unsettled. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Work, 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 and then what happens? And then you die. I think this actually is um, touching the pulse in a good sense of something that's built in everyone if they're wise. If they're a good observer of the creation around them and they're a good observer of history. Let's just talk unbelievers. And they know they're getting older and they're unsettled. They're troubled. They're losing sleep as Solomon was. You know, I'm going to die. And and what's going to happen to my stuff? He's troubled. He's unsettled. You know, so maybe today when we're trying to help someone who's going through that kind of process, instead of comforting them and saying, it's all going to be okay. This is just how it works. I think Solomon would say, maybe you should be more troubled. (laughs) Maybe you should be so unsettled by this that you seek a greater answer to your big questions in life. This also is vanity, he says. My grandparents on the Abendroth side, my father's side, lived to be in their 90s. And I remember when my grandmother was getting ready to go into a care facility and a big depression family. So they saved money like crazy. I mean, they weren't wealthy, but they had so much money compared to what we thought they had. Because they saved, as my grandmother would say, they were stingy. Um, It's my favorite word for my grandmother, I think. But I remember when she was going to go into a care facility, um, and and someone, I don't know who it was, but they, a a professional helper, um, said, you know, you really need to spend all this money before you go in, because they're just going to take it anyway. So you should go on a cruise. You should take your grandkids on a cruise. And she was so offended because that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be honest because you need to be honest. This is my unbelieving grandmother. So she left us not a fortune, but she left us a significant amount of money. And what did we do with it? Well, some of us were maybe wiser than others. I think I bought a new stereo for my Jeep Wrangler. (laughs) And a surround sound, neither of which really work anymore today. Why am I telling you this? I need counseling, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Guilt. (laughs) There's something wrong about working, 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 doing the right thing, like Grandma Erna was her name. And then what? And you die. What happens with your money? Maybe it's used wisely, maybe it's not. If there's something in you that doesn't want this to happen, I think you're thinking like a human being and you're not in denial. 
Death is not our friend. The Bible says it's the enemy. Solomon might not have all that figured out articulating that, but it's certainly going on in his heart. Even though he's taking the posture, I think, at this point in time as an unbeliever, even unbelievers know this isn't right. At the funeral, we don't get up and celebrate the progress of natural selection. This isn't good. This isn't right. And when it comes to work, it's not right that you save, 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 and other people get your stuff. Well, we're going to move on, and not to the positive stuff yet. Hang in there. It's going to feel more hopeful, but I want to caution you to not get your hopes up yet. It's going to feel more hopeful because he's going to talk about God, but I don't think he's talking about the one true and living God yet. He's going to talk about God maybe from a deist perspective, from a non-atheist perspective, just watching the way the world works. And you could conclude things about God based upon natural revelation. Creation. How about verse 24? There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. That's, that's a wise person coming to that conclusion. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So he's mentioning God, but let's not see too much in it yet. But you know what? If he believes in a creator, which is what the evidence points to, there's a designer and you know, if God made the world this way and there's life and death and you can enjoy things, that, that would seem to be what we should do. So let's acknowledge God. Let's eat and let's enjoy, but no, notice that it did come from God. So I, I like where he's moving. Verse 26 says, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, the bad actor, the, the stereotypical bad person, if you will, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. So kind of like a proverb, the good guy wins, which is not always true, but like Proverbs, it's, it's a truism. 26 then says, here's why I wanted you to temper your, your excitement. 26 ends with, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. So even though we got some God involvement in the whole thing, and this is kind of how things generally work, you know what? It still doesn't answer my big questions in life. It still doesn't make me satisfied. I still have major problems. This also is vanity and striving after wind. It's a bit of a shocker. So work is good. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. The sluggard, the slacker is... Not to be envied, but the person who works and saves. But here we're seeing ultimate fulfillment, vanity of vanities. Here's my question for you. We're going to finish here quickly. So then what's the answer? And I know all the little boys and girls say, Jesus is the answer. Because then we get a treat. Good job, boys and girls. Jesus is the answer. (laughs) But before we go there, the, the answer... The answer is going to be explicitly and then implicitly. The explicit answer is going to be, you've got to know the one true and living God who has spoken and told us what's right and wrong. That's what chapter 12 does. The answer, the the initial answer, the ultimate answer is going to be Jesus. But the initial answer is you need to know that there is a God. And not only is there a God, there's a God who hasn't been silent. He's spoken and explained things and he has commandments. And if you can understand that, then all of a sudden you can understand why these things happen and why they should be done and why you should worship him for giving you all these things. So the initial answer, 
know God, but then ultimately it's going to be Christ. So if you would ever so quickly go to chapter 12, we're going to skip the middle. I'm of the opinion that the stuff in the middle is the same as the bookends. Chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 12. If you want to do extra research, we're not going to do a series on Ecclesiastes, um, lest bad things happen to me in my mind <laughs> and you and yours. But uh, Tremper Longman, if you want to do some research, Old Testament scholar, takes a primarily negative view. My teaching today reflects that. Not because we all want to be um, Eeyores, <laughs> but because, spiritually speaking, but because it'll help us to look to God outside of us in our natural experience and look to Christ ultimately who overcomes the vanity of vanities. Okay, chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter. Even the English translation I'm reading from captures it well, abruptly. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. You want to make sense of all of this stuff? You know, what you need to do is fear God. Now, he's done God talk, but now he's talking about the specific God who has commandments. Now, Solomon is talking about the God, Yahweh, the one true and living, self-existent, eternal God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. At the end of the day, you want to understand and make some sanctified sense out of life? Here you go. You want to understand wisdom? Do you want to understand pleasure? Do you want to understand work? You need to understand the one true and living God. Fear God and keep His, notice they're together, keep His commandments. It's not the God in your heart. It's not the God you've observed in nature based upon your own fallen rationale and reason. It's not the God of the nations. It's the God that we know as the God who has commandments. It's the God who has spoken and made Himself truly known. And if you want to understand why all this is happening and why there's suffering and why there's death and why there's injustice and you want to understand all of this, you have to understand there's... Oh, it's the God who has commandments. It's the God who's made himself known. Now we're, now we're on to something. For this is the whole duty of man. Oh, wait, hold on just one second before I go there. Got ahead of myself. Exciting. We're getting to the good part. This is why earlier I said we need special revelation. General, in theology, we talk about general revelation is what God has made. Special revelation is not part of the creation. It's God speaking so that we can understand. So that's why we refer to the Bible as special revelation because it's written down God speaking. Okay, So it's special so that we can make sense of it. So that we can understand that we're supposed to worship God for making the creation, not worship the creation. Special revelation. Romans 1 talks about it. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. So what we need to answer our conundrum, our problem, our riddle about life, so that we're not just utterly depressed, is we need to have special revelation. We need to have interpretation from God about the world. We need the Bible, in other words. Fair? I'm in good company taking that view of Ecclesiastes. We need God to help us to understand how, why we should work, why we should have pleasure, how pleasure works and how pleasure doesn't work in those things. But then let's keep reading. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. Then 14 says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Think with me about that statement from a Christian perspective. So we can look at the world and make sense of it. 
Okay? So what's happening there is we're not desperate for meaning if we have a God who speaks. I can make sense of the world. Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us desperate for meaning in the world. You can have a Bible and have answers. Please get this. Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us desperate for meaning, but Ecclesiastes does leave us desperate for righteousness. Do you see why I'm saying that? Oh, so there's one true God who should be feared and you should keep his commandments. And you know what? One day he's going to judge everybody. Good news? Um, not from where I stand. Not as a son or daughter of Adam. It's not good news. It's good that we can understand the world around us well enough to know we're in a lot of trouble because you know what? As he said there at the end, uh, every secret thing, whether good or evil, he's going to judge. So he, he, it's daunting law. It's good to make sense of the world, but it leaves us saying, where am I going to get righteousness? <laughs> law obedience. Where am I going to get a true, genuine fear of God? And where am I going to get a genuine, true keeping of his commandments? Because apart from that, I'm back on the vanity train. Fascinatingly enough, in Romans, in the book of Romans as a whole, but in Romans 8, it talks about the whole creation subject to futility. That's a good New Testament word that's a synonym for our Old Testament Ecclesiastes word, vanity. The whole world is suffering the effects of the fall. Vanity. Futility. What's the answer to the whole world's futility vanity? Well, in Romans 8, it's clear it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, chapter 1, how about that? Of chap- or chapter 8, chapter eight, verse 1, no condemnation if you're in Christ. I know I'm supposed to fear God and keep His commandments. I'm honest enough to know, and the Bible's honest enough to tell me I don't. And so I need to look to another Ecclesiastes gives us answers to why things are the way they are, but it leaves us desperate for righteousness. It's a good thing to be desperate for righteousness, but then you've got to look to Jesus Christ, the righteous. You've got to look to him. And now, how about this? We're going to end on this note. How do we deal with the futility of the world problem? It's to look to Christ so that you are justified, so you're accepted, so you're reconciled in and through him. So there's that. So we've gone to the dark place so we can say, I need help. God help me. Oh, keep my law. Oh, that, that's helpful, but it doesn't quite get me there. Judgment day's coming. Look to my son. Futility is taken away. Yes. And now I want you to understand one final thing. Again, borrowing from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. Now what you do in life, pursue wisdom, education, pleasure, the right way as God indicates work and whatever else you can do for the glory of God in Christ, right? That's why he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. He's talking about all of you as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. Oh, so your work doesn't matter. Pleasure is problematic. Don't pursue wisdom, vanity of vanities. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Now that you know why these things are, and now that you're in Christ by faith, you can actually do these things for the glory and honor of God and not be utterly, completely 
horrifically depressed down and in darkness. It's really amazing. So thank you for letting me take you to dark places. It is only so that we can say, you know what, Jesus actually is the answer. And now God accepts our work, accepts our pleasure, accepts our pursuit of wisdom because we are united to Christ by faith. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for a book like Ecclesiastes. Thank you for the pursuit of all kinds of things that end up being vanity, whether it be through Solomon or other men and women who have gone before and after him. May we look to Christ. May we look to Christ for our righteousness so that we can be confident that we're accepted by you and so that we can do things so that we can do things not pursuing them because they're our functional saviors, but because we have a savior who is to be glorified and honored because he's worthy of being glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you as you go. Have a wonderful day in Christ.